Welcome to the Ages Comics of Alaska podcast, where we tell Alaskans what to put in their box at Alaska's comic book shop. I always wished I could do something better than comics, but there didn't seem to be anything. This is the Ages Comics of Alaska podcast, and now your hosts, Lou and Amy Joe. Hey guys, welcome to our 2023 first show of the year, of the new year. How you guys doing tonight? We hope you guys have had an awesome new year so far. Uh, I've got Amy uh, calling in remotely. She's up on the North Slope uh, after her workout and after her shift. Here she is. <laughs> you know, just, uh, just a grinding and a doing my thing. <laughs> I am very happy that you're you have the energy to do this after a twelve hour shift. I really appreciate that, hon. Thank you. Of course, baby. So, uh, a New Year's recap uh, before we get started. Always a, a shout out to our sponsor, Popple. Uh, just reminding people that Popple is the uh, primary way, at least the modern way, of handling business cards and getting your information out to people. Instead of uh, printing all those uh, those cards that end up getting tossed in the trash, you got the ability through Popple to transfer your card information to that person's phone directly. You can send it now via a text message and a link that sends them to a landing page that allows them to download all your contact information onto their phone. It is Popple, guys, and we have the. And let's just be honest, it's. It looks cool as shit when you're, you know, just like, oh, here, let me pop my stuff over to your phone, and I'm going to just text you that, or I'm going to just, right there. It looks cool. I saw you doing it the other day. I was like, all right, that's pretty badass. Yeah, it works out. It uh, And, you know, you can update your images, your websites, all your links. So, popple, guys. And uh, if you uh, go to the website today via our link in the description, uh, you can save a 25% at checkout and then an additional 20%. So that puts you at almost 50% guys off on your Popple uh, uh, account. So take a look at Popple. Yeah. And I'm get all with, about that discount life. Yeah, get with that modern that modern uh, 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 socialization and uh, networking. So Popple. All right. Enough of that. So 2023, um, man, our goal is to hit the deck plates running, so to speak. Uh, Mm -hmm. Any uh, New Year's resolutions for you? Uh, A couple, actually. Um, But probably something that I say every single year. But this year in particular, I want to make sure that I am taking time to really enjoy the good things that are going on in my life. Um, you know, it's real easy to get caught up in the hustle and the bustle and all the hard stuff and everything. So my goal this year is to really just be present in all the really good stuff. Um, and then I want to be better at, you know, voicing, you know, my, my thoughts better, better thought out because sometimes I just kind of don't say them well. So that's, those are, those are my goals. All right. All right. What about you? Me is uh, continuing to move forward in the positive sense, you know, just making sure that uh, I am not uh, the the Debbie Downer in the room. I want to make sure that uh, uh, 
I, I remain positive and remain an example for our kids and our grandkids and for those around us, you know. Uh, uh, it's funny, I, I read a, uh, a saying today, and it was, hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And there's something to be said about that, you know. Uh, yeah. The majority of people that hurt other people have been hurt themselves. So, you know, even though we have been bruised, you know, the last couple of years, we need to make sure that we're not doing that to other people, you know. Yeah. Now, when we're exposing people, that's a whole different story. That's, uh, there's a difference there. Yeah, it, you know, when you speak the truth and you speak the experience that you went through and that you witnessed, that is that is truth exposure. And in my opinion, I'm not maliciously going after people that I know dirt and scum on just to go hurt them because I could. Right. But I do yeah. feel it's important that we continue to speak the truth because until the truth is spoken and they continue to live this whole sweep it under the rug lifestyle, it's never going to change. And that's all, you know, that's been the primary goal is to affect change. And I think uh, our stories, our lessons will help people, you know. Um, another thing that I want to get, I want to really um, make sure that I'm pushing from our end is uh, about with people in general and helping people to develop and to, to be their, their, best, their best selves, mm-hmm. you know. And I, 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 I spoke about this with... Uh, our oldest today, and it was about people don't need handouts, they need a hand up. Mm, exactly. And, you know, we we want to take the horse to water and make the horse drink, but you can't do both. And no, and, and it's hard, and especially for people that come from our backgrounds, which are continually helping people, it is really difficult to not just want to, you know, do that and to, you know, just take the reins and be like, you, you're doing it wrong, you know, but you can't. And that's, that's a hard thing to do. Well, it, I mentioned that because it leads me into uh, our next topic. So um, in, I'm looking up the numbers here just to make sure. Um my God. So we have lost people in our lives to suicide. We have lost people in our lives to um, poor health decisions. And we have even lost people recently to uh, uh, link to uh, link to, you know, addictions such as uh, fentanyl right now and 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 cancer and cancer and uh, I want to talk about fentanyl real quick because uh, and just uh, excessive drug usage alcoholism that kind of stuff you know uh, fentanyl in particular uh, according to the uh, Center for Disease Control and Prevention 109,000 people died of drug overdose in a 12-month period um, which ended in March of uh, last year. Wow. 109,000 people, in particular to, it looks like, uh, fentanyl overdose. And, wow. you know, my message would be this. Um, 
here are some facts. I have been involved in counter-narcotics operations since 1988. I have been in operations with, you know, trying to capture or to interdict some of the biggest names in, you know, drug cartels throughout the decades, right? You know, from the Ariana mm -hmm. Felix organization to Los Zetas to the FARC. Uh, I've, I've, uh, I've supervised teams. I've gone abroad. I've been in South America. I've been in Central America. I've been uh, throughout Mexico, uh, even in the, the Middle East, uh, trying to do counter-narcotics operations on behalf of our country. And then as a trooper, dealing with uh, problems like cocaine and fentanyl and uh, heroin that have plagued the state of Alaska. And the one thing I can tell you for sure is that uh, even if we arrested every single drug dealer, if we arrested every single supplier in the state of Alaska, within days, they would have replacements. If not within mm -hmm. hours, they would be replaced. The reason for that is because the demand is still present. And until you right. eliminate the demand, there will always be a need for drug dealers and drug supply. There will always be a need for a fentanyl supplier. In Dillingham right now, there is a uh, fentanyl dealer in, 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 uh, in Dillingham, a female that's out there that is just literally killing people with the sales of fentanyl. Even if they capture her, which I hope they do, even if they bring her to justice with the limited law enforcement uh, resources that they have there, you know, first off, you're going to have to deal with the judge there who's probably going to release her anyway because the judge is very liberal about those types of things. And that's what happens typically. Um, I'm not attacking all judges, but, you know, when you have the hardcore liberal judges that don't believe that uh, holding people accountable is uh, <laughs> is good for their A retention. <laughs> is good for their retention, right? Well, um you end up with the revolving door and, and, you know, it's been my experience that those judges, they don't ever see the light of all the damage and the destruction that they've caused with their, with their uh, decisions and cutting mm -hmm. people loose and cutting breaks and everything else. They don't realize the damage that they've caused typically until the end of their career. It's usually like the last two years of their careers when they start uh, hammering down on people because they realize that for the last decade or two decades, they've been single-handedly contributing to the destruction of their community. But ultimately, I say that because not to, to uh, destroy all hope, but to tell people that it starts in your household. You're not going to save your neighborhood by yourself, but you certainly can have an effect in your household and on your inner circle by providing sound mentorship, sound parenting, uh, being a uh, good steward and an example in your household. That is how you fight the drug war. That is how you 
eventually eliminate the need for fentanyl and heroin and cocaine and even the uh, alcohol that is destroying many communities. You do that one household at a time. You clean up your house first. And then hopefully your household becomes an example or a beacon for other households. And that's mm. how you fight the war. That's how you win the war eventually. And, you know, you do that with, you know, conviction and faith, uh, with uh, your your belief systems and your your ultimately with your love for the people in your household and your your love for your neighbor. And then that's how you do it. Because there's no other way. You can't to rely on the government i.e. the agencies and the courthouses to to uh, stop the problem on their own, it's not going to happen. No. You know, and I think that, you know, with history, you know, it, it's shown time and time again that having that good support network, um, I think, is one of the most important things. And I think that that has an outreach on more than just when you're talking about, you know, drugs and alcohol, having that support system, even if you battle seasonal depression, even if you have other things going on, you know, having that support network is so vital and so important because we don't, our, our, our minds, our bodies, we're not programmed to do all this by ourselves. And when we, you know, push it, when you notice someone's pushing everyone away and everything, not like you can force your way back into their lives, but at least extending that olive branch sometimes can make all the difference in the world. And that can be the one where the person finally goes, they reach out to you. Okay, I need, I need help. It may not be financial. It may not be advice. It may just be, I just need you to come over and sit down and we watch a movie and say nothing. And that's okay too. And, you know, helping people doesn't always have to be monetarily or making a meal or, or doing all of those things are great, but sometimes it can just be, I just need to call them bitch. I need to literally vent about all of these things that are driving me insane so that I can say them and get them off my chest. And when you extend that olive branch to people, it really gives them that sense of, of hope and love and community. And I think that that's just so important on so many levels. Yeah, 100%. I think uh, when people uh, communicate, they, 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 how do I put it? You know, we, we spoke about this in our last uh, podcast that um, humans need contact with other humans. That's mm -hmm. just how we were designed. Um, if, we just simply reach out, just a simple act of reaching out and following up on our people. Mm -hmm. uh, I could not imagine how many lives we'd be saving and maybe or delaying the inevitable if we just made the time to call someone. Um, you know, we, we make a lot of excuses why we don't want to call someone. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of it, unfortunately, is uh, maybe we're not prepared to absorb all that, all that energy that we're about to absorb speaking to that person, you know, because maybe it, we know that it's going to be a negative conversation, right? But right. we kind of signed up for that in terms of uh, when, when you declare yourself somebody's friend, uh, 
or when you declare or, or when <laughs> in the case of family, you know, that there's that saying, you, you don't choose your family, you know, it's mm -hmm. part of, it comes with it, you know, it, it, that responsibility of uh, being that sounding board. Now, it's obvious that you have to set boundaries, right? Absolutely. Because uh, that, that's why counselors get paid what they get paid. And I, I am a strong advocate more than ever uh, for the use of and the referral to licensed counselors, right? Uh, because these are people that they are trained to listen, not interrupt, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, try to help people problem solve. However, as family and friends, we are that kind of like that first line of defense. We're, we're the first uh, contact, so to speak. And it could be just as simple as just calling up someone and saying that you were thinking about them, telling yeah. them you love them, uh, telling them you've been thinking about them and uh, you care about them. And, uh, hey, why don't we get together for a barbecue? Let, let's go out and grab a cup of coffee. You know, yeah. it's just those things that help out that socialization. Um, even introverts tend to enjoy the company of their small social circle. So, mm -hmm. and, and making an assumption that, oh, well, this person doesn't like people around or this person doesn't want to communicate with people at all. Um, I think can be dangerous sometimes because then when they do pass, it, it, you don't want those regrets. You don't want those regrets that yeah. uh, uh, all, it, all it would have taken was a, a text message and a, a phone call or a message, you know, a, a messenger, mm -hmm. you know, just these simple follow-ups. So I'd like to come into the new year remembering that and following up with uh, friends and family, we are going to be hitting the highest suicide rate time here in what the next 90 days or so is when the suicide rate starts to skyrocket, especially up here. Um, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, March is really bad. Uh, April and May are really bad uh, during the breakup. Um, that tends to be the worst. In Western Alaska, it's really bad because uh, at that point, people are tr literally trapped in their communities. They're, um, mm -hmm. you know, like in Selawik, uh, unless you have money for uh, an aircraft flight, a charter, or jumping on, you know, Bering Air or whoever's flying there at this time, mm -hmm. you're, you're stranded because during breakup, there's still ice in the river, so you can't take a boat and you can't snow machine across it because there's open water. So you're trapped. Oh. You're like right in, you're in the middle of not being able to leave the village unless you can get on an aircraft. And that can cause some issues, you know, psychologically, especially when you're trapped. And if you don't have a, a good support network, that definitely caused some issues. So I, I agree with you. And the thing that I got taught in one of the um, dispatcher trainings I went to is it's not in the darkest dark that people um, have the hardest time. It is when the light starts to come back. And that's oddly enough, that's when they start to feel just a little bit better, but that I feel a little bit better gives them enough energy to go through with 
you know, maybe possibly doing something, you know, very regretful. And, and that was something that was very eye-opening for me in one of the trainings that I went to. Because you don't think of that. You're like, oh, it's got to be when they're at their lowest and their darkest and all that other stuff. And it's, it's actually not. And studies have shown that they, they don't have the energy for it. They don't have the, you know, the ability to go through with it at that time. They have to wait for things to, one, you wouldn't think. You're like, oh, it's springtime. You know, things are going to be bad. The weather's getting better. It's warmer. We can be outside. You know, we don't have hurricane force winds and yada, yada, yada. And that's not it. You know, the holidays are hard, and a lot of people struggle with them for the different various reasons, but also as we get through the holidays, now that the we're gaining sunlight, you know, we're gaining, well, eventually we're going to gain some warmth here at some point, you know, that that is when things are harder because it's a little bit easier, which doesn't make any sense, but if you look at the studies, that's what they show. Yeah, that's when they have the energy to actually carry out. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I remember it, it, in the Northwest Arctic Borough, you know, in the Kotzebue region, the villages there, it seemed like it was always in threes. One person mm-hmm. took their life, two of their clo- uh, you know, closest friends or family members then followed suit, especially with the younger personal. generation. Yeah, um, I, I suspect that, that that's more of a national trend as well. But, you know, in, in the villages, it's it's pretty magnified because you know everyone. No, you're talking small communities. Yeah. You know, um, I remember interviewing multiple suicide uh, attemptees, if if that's a term. You know, we, you know, a girl that in Selawick that we were able to save her just before you know she blacked out from trying to hang herself. You know, what they would do is they would take a a cord and wrap it around the doorknob. And then uh, uh, it, it it was pretty dark uh, 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 fact, but it seemed like they even if there was a rope nearby, they never used a rope. They always cut the the cord off of a hair dryer or something. It, it, hmm. it was just I, I don't know if it was like a, a last fu or what, but even if there was a a, a a a whole you know spool of rope right there, they always went for the. Mm-hmm extension cords and the cords off of hair dryers and whatnot appliances and you know and then they would just drop to their knees and kill themselves you know and that's they would slowly just drop to their knees and then uh uh, asphyxiate themselves and um you know there's a that term dead weight uh Mm -hmm. doesn't come without actual uh uh meaning to that you know if you've ever tried to move a dead body or an unconscious body that's all that liquid weight that you're trying to move around. And it's not easy to move people. No. It's not. That's why they design, you know, drags and everything else. But if somebody uh, just slumps down and is essentially unconscious and about to die in front of a a bathroom door or, you know, behind Mm -hmm. the bathroom door, it will take everything you have to push that door open to get to them. Like all your energy to, to... because that's just literal dead weight. And if there's like a toilet bowl or something that's pinning them, it's even more difficult to get in that bathroom to get to them. But interviewing uh, uh, one girl in particular, I remember she literally, she believed, and she had a very sad house uh, upbringing. She, she was a victim of uh, sexual abuse. And the friend that killed themselves was a very close friend. And she had gone to the funeral 
and you know the celebration life and the potlatch and she mm-hmm. actually romanticized the fact that well that's the one time that my family and everybody else will be happy celebrating my life and they're gonna oh wow get together and da 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 and you're trying to explain to them actually it's far from the truth people are hurting people uh people are devastated by your absence and on top of that i mean you don't get to see that you know hollywood has made this false narrative that you're just floating above your body watching everybody finally paying attention to you and finally speaking your story you don't get to hear any of that or see any of that when you die you die that's it you know you you, you're not going to be there it's not ghost you're not going to come in there and start helping your mom mold clay or whatever. It, that's not what happens when you die, okay? Um, it's funny. Uh, it's not funny, but I mean, it, it's uh, interesting. The first time uh, I saw a dead, uh, a dead body in Alaska, I mean, I've seen dead bodies uh, in the Coast Guard. You know, you'd have migrants that would uh, trying to cross uh, the Rio Grande illegally, you know, we pick up floaters, that kind of stuff. Um, the the body's all melted. It's it's just a bad scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one that actually gets to me, aside from that, there was a kid one time in South Padre that got me. But you know, uh, recovering that body. But uh, it was that uh, homicide scene over there on the what was it Mayflower Plymouth Plymouth was it Plymouth, Plymouth the one with the guy yeah the guy who killed uh, uh his girlfriend and the and the yeah. uh, the other girl and the guy that was there as well. It, it, I've discussed this story at uh, at nauseum before, but I just remember I literally at one point stepped over um, the female one of the female victims' bodies, and I remember stepping over the body and the body of the shooter because the shooter killed himself in the garage and he shot her i think he shot her in the garage too she was trying to escape and he shot her and killed her and um you don't feel when they're dead and they're gone you don't feel a presence anymore i mean mm-hmm. i'm not i'm not trying to get super spiritual here but there's nothing there it's just it was it was no different than a mannequin that's literally how it felt and of course, you know, a lot of people when they when they get shot, it's not like in the movies, like when they get shot and they fly backwards or you know fly forward. Because I think he shot her in the back. She didn't fly forward. She just the rounds went through her, killed her, and she just they just slump and collapse straight down. In many cases, wow. so when mm-hmm. they when they slump and, and collapse down, especially if it's a kill shot that you know shuts off the brain and shuts off uh, the nervous system you know uh, we used to say uh, shutting down the computer they just go Mm -hmm. straight down to the ground and when they crumble a lot of times they crumble in like a uh, in this really weird way where their legs are bent in a certain way that just isn't natural like they're laid back but they're imagine like someone on their knees and then they fall backwards like those break dancers you know that collapse backwards but like they die like that, they just collapse like that. And yeah. my point being is that when you're gone, you're gone. There's nothing there. I sensed absolutely nothing. All I could smell was that uh, smell of iron mm-hmm. throughout the house. Yep. But these 
these two individuals in particular, they were gone. And I remember it was like a gray paste, you know, their skin was gray and pasty. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, there's nothing in their pupils. It, it, they're just gone. There's nothing yeah. there. And, um, you know, suicides, the same way, man. When you show up, they're gone. You know? I've been on many a scene back when I was a medic that, you know, you you think it's going to be like in the movies, like you said. And they've they've made it very, well, in recent years, it's been much more graphic. But, you know, growing up, it, it was always, you know, like this fantasy almost. And I think that's what people cling on to, and, and it is very much not. And for those that are listening to this, if you haven't ever seen that, I'm very happy. I, I yeah. don't think that a lot of people should have to see that. And that's but what we got into when we got into the professions that we got into, we knew that that was a part of life. You know, death is always a part of life. There's some, just like they say, there's only two things guaranteed in this life, death and taxes. And... You know, when you when you see those things, when you experience them, I think it. And and I'm and I'm going to get to a bigger point of this. You know, I think that it affects all of us in different ways. And I think right. that, you know, especially for people in this profession who have so much pressure on them, who see so many bad things, who only get yelled at, rarely ever have someone call them up and say thank you. You know, you're not home enough, you're always at work, you're, you can't get ahead, you know, you're only seeing these bad things that I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, military, law enforcement, you know, people in emergency service type jobs, this is one of the reasons why the suicide rate is so high in those professions because it, it brings you down. You can't, you don't leave a scene like that being like, oh, all right, you know, it's a great day. You know, nobody, nobody walks away thinking that and and it and it wears on you after a while that's why everyone that's why you had said it earlier and I want to say it again I think it is I think it should be a requirement for departments to have regular check-ins for all their employees in those types of jobs with a licensed mental health professional and I think that it would, you know, possibly help save quite a few people. Yeah, I uh, I remember um, one of our close friends. Well, I can say it now. Uh, uh, he's spoken about it before, but uh, uh, Mark, um, he's been on the show before. I remember the Huna uh, uh murders of the two officers in Huna, the Huna PD guys. Mm-hmm. And Mark was uh, uh, the investigator for that. And it messed him up. And I remember Casanova's, I can say this because I was there when he said it. He was like, why the fuck does he want to go, why the fuck does the investigator want to go to uh the critical, uh, the SISM, the critical incident stress management uh, debriefing, like he couldn't connect it. He was like, all he, he just investigated it. He wasn't even involved. And he did not understand uh, how people are connected and affected mm-hmm. by tragedies like that. Especially when you got to go and you got to, you got to, you got to check on all that. You know? Well, 
And I think that especially for um, for management, um, and I don't say leaders, I say management with specific here, I think especially because they have been so far removed for so long, they forget. Well, you They haven't you, been to one of those in so long. They haven't had to experience that. They haven't gone through that, and so they, they forget. And some of them never have. Yeah, and some of them never have because they were the ones that were dodging calls and all those other things, you know. But it's it's your, it's, and that's the irony, it's your hardest workers that you think, oh, no, they're solid. They're such a hard worker. They're doing all this for me. You know, they're always there. They're, they're the ones who are always the jovial, happy-go-lucky, you know, help out whenever you need help. They're, it's, it's always, not always, but primarily it's, you know, those people who are, the ones that struggle because they don't get any relief. They don't get that mental, they're not able to let go of those things. Those things stick with them and they don't check on them. Uh, Um, You know, we talked about it in the last one. They're thinking differently. So Mm -hmm. in Casanova's defense, he was a very analytical person. He was thinking from a legal prosecution defense and just from criminal investigation, mm-hmm. he was thinking that if the investigator or in some cases the shooter, the, the officer who, who shot, in this case, both officers were killed, but mm-hmm. um, in situations where the officer is the shooter or uses force, Critical incident stress management, if they go to that presentation, to that, you know, to that debriefing, that they could um, hamper the investigation. For instance, if you have all the paramedics and everybody else that were involved in the investigation, and then you have, you are the case officer, but you're going to the meeting because you're stressed out too, and you're, you're wanting, you know, counseling. Mm-hmm. You being there could be detrimental because none of these people can speak freely. Because if they say something that uh, puts them in a situation where they're now liable, because maybe mm-hmm. during during the debriefing they make a statement like, "Man, uh, I could have been there, but I was scared and I I hid in a closet for a couple of minutes." You know, you know what I mean? Like, there's. I, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but you never know, right? But it, or right. a medic says, "Hey, uh, I feel horrible. I I should have started an IV, and I sh- but uh, or I went to start the IV, but I didn't do uh, airway because I was, uh, I I couldn't look at his face because I knew who this officer was, and I just couldn't get myself mm-hmm. to intubate him or whatever the the excuses, right? That could bring liability on them because they're supposed to be able to speak freely there, so." As a leader, you're supposed to problem solve and figure out, well, how do I make that happen? And instead mm-hmm. of saying, well, we can't do it because of this, why can't we say, all right, well, let's have a second critical incident stress man, uh, you know, debriefing, and let's do it for just this core group of people. Let's yeah. do it just for the investigators. Let's do it just for the shooters. You know, uh, when I was involved in my shooting. The department did not offer any critical incident stress management response to the region at all. They did not conduct a briefing. Nope. Colazar, 
Etheridge, God rest his soul, uh, the chief, the other two officers, the 911 dispatcher for Dillingham that had to listen to all of that to hear. Mm -hmm. uh, I could not imagine the stress that she went through hearing us yelling out shots fired and people almost yep. being run off the road and her knowing that none of us could hear each other and she was the only one that could hear us. Mm -hmm. And she had no idea if I was dead or injured. She just knew that I had been, uh, I had been struck by a vehicle. Shots were fired and she knew nothing else because no one could communicate. Yeah. And because uh, you know, yeah, because uh, Wilson decided to take the repeater down to save money, but you know that that's another <laughs> that's another time. That's another episode. But I mean, they should have been offered counseling, all of them. They should have been they offered should. some type of debriefing. They did not. And and with those debriefings, it is. I have been involved in a few, um, just from my dispatch career, um, and also the one from when I was at um, Lifeguard and we lost the helicopter. Um, it is so critical that you bring in a outside entity to run those, because I I know and I have I've heard horror stories, um, even recently, where emotions run high when you have multi-agencies working on something and they start, you know, they don't get a handle on it and people start blaming and emotions are high and all this other stuff. You know, the, the point of those is, yes, emotions are high and, yes, people need to be able to express their emotion, but it needs to be run in such a way. When you allow people to... Um, to take over those. And there's one person in particular, I really hope they do come on the podcast who I believe that's what they're doing now in their retirement. And, and I think it is just so important. Um, I know specifically for me, um, I held on to a lot of guilt with the lifeguard crash for a very long time. And it wasn't until I was, uh, after we did a, uh, there was a, a court hearing and it was to issue a death certificate for one of the people who we never found. And um, the one of the troopers uh, was there at this as well and noticed how much I was struggling and noticed that I was holding on to an, an immense amount of, you know, just grief and responsibility and, and all of these things. And that particular trooper, I got dismissed from the stand and I started to walk out because I was, I felt like I was getting ready to have a panic attack. And that trooper got up, wasn't supposed to, cornered me and essentially made me do a debrief with that particular trooper at that time. And I, you know, they realized quite quickly, they were like, wow, you know, you need to, you need to talk about this, gave me their personal cell phone number, did all of these things and was like, you know, don't hold this in. And I think that it is so important to have leaders who recognize that we had our friend who was a sergeant down in Soldotna who was dealing with, you know, PTSD and stress issues and all this other stuff. And the answer they gave him was, Oh, well, we'll just demote you. You'll be fine. Come to work still. Instead of going, Hey man, you know what? We're recognizing that you need to go take some time. You need to, you know, we need to help you. And I think that's where, 
I get from an operational standpoint, you're like, oh, I'm going to be down someone. Oh, all these things. Who cares? We'll figure it out. The schedule will figure itself out. Everyone will pull their weight. We'll do, we'll do what needs to be done. But the fact that we continually go to all of the people in this field, buck up. And, like, that's some badge of honor to buck up and not, that like, you're not supposed to have feelings. You're supposed to be a robot. That's just, that's not a way of life. That is why you and I have talked about this, that this is a job. And when you let it consume your life, that is where real damage starts to happen. I think that yep. it affects leadership decisions. It affects... Uh, Obviously, the uh, the mental health of your organization mm -hmm. when you're not dealing with things, uh, when mm -hmm. you're not offering uh, some type of a stress debriefing where people can talk it through, where they can be reminded about you know the dangers of self medication and you know just mm -hmm. remembering that they have someone that they can talk to about the situation. You know. Um, there's so many instances, you know, we only do debriefs in law enforcement for shootings right now. That's it. Uh, or anything that, or anything that resolves in a death, mm -hmm. but we don't do debriefs for those other stressful situations. Like, uh, I can tell you personally that I have been in multiple life or death situations where, uh, the one I don't talk about much, uh, I've talked about the Norvik one, and I'll be speaking about that one again with uh, 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 Senator Showers because he's going to be he's going to be on the show uh, this Saturday. But um, uh, the Electnagek one, um, there was a a call middle of the night, as usual, right? You know, actually it was mm -hmm. early morning. I think it was like one or two in the morning. I forget. It's been a while now, but. Uh, uh, the a male party had tried to defend a girl being beaten half to death by her boyfriend. Uh, he was at the clinic in Aleknagik. There's no law enforcement in Aleknagik at that time. I don't think there is right now. No VPSO. So I drive down there. It's about, uh, what was it, 26 miles, 28 miles out of town or something like that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, on a long, windy road. Yep, with no cell phone coverage, no radio coverage uh, in some cases. I get there, and um, I'm met by the girl who is completely bruised up. You could tell that uh, she is has been bleeding. She meets me at the door. Um, at first, she doesn't want me to go in the house. I tell her, look, I'm here to help you, you know. You got to give them the spiel while you're there. You have to presume that they're being held hostage or, you know, they're terrified uh, because the person mm -hmm. might be listening to the whole conversation, right? The assailant. So we speak and she finally, you know, tells me uh, that, you know, yes, she's been beaten. And I go into the house. I don't know where he is. But I remember the first thing I saw was the living room where the majority of the assault took place looked like a bloodbath. And like, it looked like a homicide scene. There was blood everywhere. 
there was a bucket where she was trying to clean up the blood and there had to be at least at least uh, uh, a quarter inch of, of blood in that in that bucket it was horrible mm-hmm. like blood spatter on the walls on the couches i mean on the kitchen table the kitchen floor i almost slipped on the blood that's how much blood was all over the the kitchen floor the linoleum mm-hmm. where is he it turns out he uh she said i don't know if he left or not i said you know stay uh, you know stay here i i think actually i uh i had her wait outside or something i can't remember because i'm by myself i have no backup whatsoever so yeah. i i end even up, if you did it would be an hour it would away, be an hour away. You woke someone up and they drove yeah. out there so here i am by myself i go in the bedroom and there he is uh he passed out he he tried to hide under the bed and passed out from being drunk. So I go to wake him up and the fight's on. And this dude this dude's my size, maybe a little bit bigger. Um and he's got his drunk muscles going and he is fighting with me to the death. And I remember the entire time I was picturing you and the kids and I was like, "Man, I am not going to die in this bedroom." full of blood to this asshole you know who's a who's a his only accolade is beating you know defenseless females there was no way on Mm -hmm. earth that i was gonna let you guys have your last memory of me dying you know in hand-to-hand combat with some guy you know in a lechnagic so i powered through got him in cuffs uh Got him in my vehicle. Ended up having to pepper spray him at one point and all kinds of stuff. And uh, the entire ride back to uh, uh, Dillingham, uh, about, I don't know, it must have been, it felt like an hour or so. Uh, Him just threatening to rape you and how he was going to, he knew where you lived and that he was going to hurt you and he was going to rape you and all this other crazy stuff. And, you know, you have to put up with all this stuff. A guy just tried to kill you. He tried to kill two other victims, and then on top of that, you know, I had to interview the uh, the other, you know, the other male victim as well, who almost died. He he actually uh, thought at one point that he di- that he was dying, you know, because they when they urinate when they defecate themselves, that mm-hmm. is their body evacuating just before they you know their body shuts down and dies. You know, there's a guy. Right. You know, anyway, I I get him to jail. Uh, end of story for for then you know um th- there's some stuff that happened after that with the da but uh that's neither here yeah. nor there, there right now the big thing is that was a life or death situation where i thought I, I was gonna die at one point i went through a lot of stress during that mm-hmm. you know the stress of not having any backup no alternate no alternate alternatives uh, throwing them in the back of a vehicle that was a converted civilian vehicle that the department decided to use as a patrol vehicle. All they did was throw a cage in it. It had regular seats. Uh, being able to seatbelt a, a, a combative suspect was next to impossible in the back of that vehicle. Um, you know, just a vehicle that wasn't designed for patrol. And, you know, the fear of you being hurt and, you know, 
or me losing you guys or you guys losing me. No counseling, no nothing offered for that. Nothing at all. I'm one of probably over a hundred troopers that have gone through a similar situation in their career. Mm -hmm. And yet no counseling's offered, no debriefing, no checkups. And then they wonder why guys leave at five years. They wonder why guys, you know, are self-medicating. They wonder why guys uh, start making poor, poor decisions or, you know, they end up divorced two, three times. I mean, we know, hell, including me. I mean, I, I've been divorced twice. You know, mm -hmm. you, you, you don't realize at the time the toll that the job uh, uh, takes on you. And especially when you have zero support, um, you know, you're, you're in a almost a, a, a toxic environment where everyone just, if you take off even for a minute from work, you know, you're made to feel really guilty about it. I mean, there's a oh, reason yeah. why, there's a reason why when you look around the squad room, you go to any trooper post, especially a large trooper post, just look around the post, look around, and you're going to find at least one or two troopers. If you look carefully, you're going to see them limping. You're going to see them with a a wrist brace or an elbow brace or some type of brace or some type of wrapping because they show up to work injured. Yeah. And they, because they know the consequence of calling off or uh, staying off duty, you know, to, to heal themselves. They, they get, they get ridiculed by the management because the management is about statistics. Right. Um, the management is always about statistics. They're always about the numbers. They're always about, well, if this person is not at work, then we have to pay overtime for other people to come in. And, you know, so on and so forth. They, they, they don't correct the problem. They just create guilt and get these guys mm -hmm. to come in and overwork themselves and to push themselves way beyond their, their limits. And then they wonder why when these guys retire, uh, if they make it to retirement, they're, they're still limping around. They're still, uh, 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 you know, just overloading the, the medical insurance uh -huh. because they're having to get all this stuff corrected that um, they broke years ago and could have gotten fixed and corrected properly, you know, with physical therapy and everything else. But, you know, they're, they're pushed to their limits and told, if you, if you stay out of work for more than a couple of days, you're hurting your, you're hurting your detachment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they don't, and then they wonder why they can't recruit anymore. And they wonder why they can't fill the vacancies. Well, you can't fill the vacancies when the word gets out that you treat your people like trash. Exactly. You know, they, uh, People are seeing this, you know, look around, you'll see, you, you'll see, you'll see, look around just close enough. You'll see troopers. Hell, I'm sure you'll see uh, police officers from APD, Fairbanks PD limping around on duty, still limping because they know. Well, and I think that, that, that that's a really out. good point too. Yeah. That, that it is, it's not, you know, when someone gets hurt, it shouldn't be, well, when can you get back to work? It should be, when are you, what do you need to do to be okay? You know, it shouldn't be, well, 
you're causing a trouble. You know, I have a friend of mine who injured themselves saving an individual who drunk and crashed their car and they saved this person from the vehicle that was on fire as they drug this person out and they seriously injured themselves. And the pressure to come back to work was so intense on them. And that that's not fair. You need to be able to take the time to heal yourself so that you can come back to work and do the job you need to do. And that's what I talk about with, you know, why we keep talking about these things is because you have to affect change. You have to have someone willing to stand up to the people who are going, oh, our stats, oh, this, who cares? You need to make sure your people are okay. That's what should matter. You know, unfortunately, we are in a scorecard society, in particular in government whether mm -hmm. you're a school teacher that is teaching to an exam instead of actually teaching stuff that kids need to know to survive in the world. Mm -hmm. They're just teaching to some exam so that the school district as a whole scores higher enough that it appears that they're teaching their kids when in fact right. the kids leave school dumber than when they came in. Yeah, and when you they have 50 kids anything. in one classroom, they can't. They can't one on one. They don't have time no, for that. No, absolutely not. They spend more time on uh, the uh, corralling. Yeah, on corralling than they do on developing. <laughs> you know, uh, you know the the Matsu Valley lacks in uh, uh, the one of the things they lack in is the uh, uh, advanced education. You know, for your gifted kids, mm -hmm. so much energy is spent on just you know, getting everybody through your low performers through and your troubled kids through, which there, there, there's, there's some importance in that, but you're not, you're not allowing any growth or any specialization for your gifted kids. That could be your future mm -hmm. scientists, your future uh, engineers. Uh, we, we don't spend time on those kids. We don't spend any resources on them whatsoever. All of our money well, is blown on, you know, to, on on the low performers, and, and that well, happens in and every sadly, workplace too. Well, and sadly, you know, on that point in particular, and I might have the details not a hundred percent correct, but if I remember correctly, there used to be the Matsu Career Tech um, School over by Tealand. Um, that was specifically a school that kids had to apply to. They had to um, have, like, good grades and all of these different things. Like, they had to go to an interview and everything. And it was, like, prestigious to get in there. And I believe several years ago, that got decided that that wasn't fair for everyone. So now it's kind of like a lottery. Right. So instead of, you know, lifting up these kids who worked their ass off to get into that school, now, you know, you got Joe Schmo who's like, well, this looks like fun. I guess I'll go here. Now, I might not have that 100% correct, but I do believe that's how that went down. And we're in such a uh, an environment right now of, of that type of stuff. And it just, you're, you're hurting your people. You're hurting the gifted kids, and then I'll bring it back to law enforcement. When we're not focusing on the individuals and we're only focusing on numbers, that is such a disservice to your employees. And that is why you have burnout. That is why you have these people who cannot physically do the job anymore. You know, they're 
they're struggling and then their performance is down and then you're getting on on them because their performance is down, but you haven't looked at why the performance is down. You haven't looked at what do I need to do to help this person get a better performance? Do I need to realize that maybe they need, you know, some, hey, take a weekend off. Hey, you know, do this. You know, hey, I want you to not take, you know, these calls for a little while. Let someone else take them. You know, something. There's got to be a better way. There just has to be a better way. And I feel like we're, instead of focusing on that, we focus on numbers. Because, you know, we're, we're in such an environment of social media and camera phones and all this other stuff that everyone, you know, everyone's got a phone that they can whip out on a scene and they can, you know, have something to say when they really don't know what's going on. I think um, recently I saw a video of a lady um, who is a paramedic in Buffalo, New York. Buffalo, New York just had a massive winter storm. More snow than they've ever gotten. Um, I mean, people stranded in vehicles for days. And you had, um, in particular, she was talking about her station that she was a paramedic out of. You had people that were just living there because, A, they couldn't get home, and, B, even if they got home, they weren't going to be able to help. And you had people who were stuck at home who were calling dispatch asking if there was anyone near them that needed help so they could go to it. And instead of people recognizing that, they bitched that emergency services wasn't doing enough, let alone no one could. They they had curfews. You weren't supposed to be out on the streets, and people still were, and all this other stuff. And that's the environment we're in, and I think that that's what management responds to is, oh, how's this going to look? Mitigate that. Talk about these things. Talk about how if you're having, you know, if you're struggling at work, you would want your boss to look at you and go, hey, let me help you. But instead, they just look at the numbers, and that's just the sad way of the world right now, and I, I hate it. Well, statistics are something that you can sell, right? The, mm-hmm. uh, if the governor is losing a campaign for re-election, uh, all they have to do is get some skewed numbers to report that, oh, crime is down. When you look at your neighbors, and you're like, totally not down, man. That's yeah. not, uh, it, it, you just have your staff uh, reclassifying uh, calls for service as something else. You know, mm-hmm. I remember uh, uh, the Office of uh, Children's Services. I remember uh, how they manipulated numbers uh, a couple of years back. Um, we had reports of harm, and uh, the severity of the report of harm was, for instance, if the uh, if the perpetrator resided in same household, that was like the highest category of call. So OCS uh, commissioner uh, director and the commissioner of health and social services at the time had a mandate. We've got to make these numbers disappear. There's no way that there's no realistic way of curing uh, child abuse and child molestation in the state of Alaska overnight. That's not going to happen, but there's a way of skewing the numbers. So what they did was the director and the, uh, uh, with the blessing of the commissioner, uh, changed the protocol and they directed all of the OCS workers to contact the perpetrator and have them voluntarily remove themselves from the home before we as 
the investigators, could, the criminal investigators with the troopers could actually come in contact with them. So mm -hmm. all of a sudden, we were behind the, the curb because we didn't have the surprise, you know, or the tactical advantage. Right. Because this person knew that we were coming. And it was all for their number. OCS didn't care that they were destroying our cases and preventing right. actual justice from occurring. They knew that they needed to recategorize that category one, which was perpetrator living in same household, to a category two perpetrator not in same household. And then they were able to overnight report to the governor, look at this great job we've done. In just 30 days, we have reduced the number of our worst case scenarios by 30% or 40%, which looked fantastic in statistics. But, but that was a reality. As a matter of fact, it further endangered that kid because now the perpetrator was still out and about. We couldn't get a hold of them because they had been told by OCS that we were on our way and it was in their best interest to vacate the house. I mean, it was just ridiculous. It, and people should go to jail for that. The commissioner and the director should have gone to jail for that. But that's never going to happen in this society. No. You know, they, they, they were allowed to retire, you know, with their pat on the back and told that they did a great thing. And then you wonder why you have OCS workers uh, that don't last past three years in that department. Because they're right. seeing that. It's not like they willingly did that. They were ordered to either yeah. do what we're telling you or you're fired. So, yeah. you know, now you're putting them in a hard situation. You know, and people, when they're motivated with, you know, I have to provide for my family, you know, they are put between a rock and a hard place. And that, you know, when you have a few people who are willing to stand up and say, this is wrong, that is where... That is the only time change is going to happen, which, you know, bringing it back, and I want to try to bring it back onto a positive, yep. is, you know, that is why you do what you do. That is why you have done what you've done, which is why we talk about the things that we talk about, because I think it's important to talk about them, because like I said, until they're talked about, it's not going to be talked about behind closed doors. And let me tell you, whether I'm there or not, I know they're talking about it, and that's the only way you're going to get change. And that is the point of this, is to get changed, to make things better, because nobody wants the shit show that's going on. Nobody wants that. We don't want that. No. I, want, I want the people of Alaska to be well taken care of by their law enforcement EMS community, you know, all, all the people in those regards, OCS, everyone. But I also, you know, want the leaders and managers to be able to go, we need to look past our bullshit and we need to do what's right for our employees too, because they matter too. And, and until we make that full circle, you know, you're going to keep having people do the same things. You're going to have bad people that are able to, you know, do the shit that they're doing. And it's, it's just unfortunate. Well, so. I think we, we're doing a good job of educating people on what's happening. It's up to people yeah. to speak to their lawmakers and, uh, uh and, demand, to, and change. demand change, demand change. Um, there, there's more to do than just finger pointing. Mm -hmm. We have to demand change. 
ultimately the change starts in our home first and with our circle of influence, making sure that yep. you're checking on your people while we are out overtly trying to get the media involved, trying to get this, you know, on a national level, because Alaska's really good about keeping its little dark secrets in the mm-hmm. closet. And it's nice I that we, we have a platform to put a spotlight. Yeah, and, but it's kind of nice to have this platform where we could put a spotlight on these things. And mm-hmm. um, ultimately, while that's happening, and while we're waiting for change to happen, and change has to happen at one point or another, while we're waiting on that, we can do our part by following up on friends and family, checking on those first responders, those teachers, those nurses, those medics that are stressed out to the max, those OCS workers that are stressed out to the max, those correction officers stressed out to the max, and our military, uh, our active duty, reserve, National Guardsmen, checking on them, making sure that they're okay, letting Mm -hmm. them know that we're thinking about them, that they're on our hearts. Letting them know that they're important. And, and, you know, and you matter to me. I, that's all, you know, I I had a friend of mine that I have known since the sixth grade randomly call me today just because and we haven't talked in probably a year. And it gave my heart so much joy to have just a random conversation with someone I have known since I was a child. I didn't realize how much of a profound effect that was going to have on my day. And it did. And it reminds me to do the same. Yeah. It's important. And it we is. do have that effect on people. There there are people, believe it or not, that actually enjoy hearing from you. So that's our reminder. Uh, please continue to uh, enjoy our content. We, mm-hmm. uh, we've received our, fe- our feedback that we need to have a a normal schedule. So uh, we're working on that. We appreciate your patience and we appreciate your loyalty to, uh, uh, to this, to this podcast. Uh, we're going to continue to put out content. Uh, we have, uh, uh, Senator showers is going to be on the show, uh, uh, for our next episode that we'll record on Saturday. We'll put it out probably Sunday or Monday at the latest. Our goal is new episodes every Monday. And uh, once again, we couldn't do it without you guys. Please mm-hmm. feel free to like, subscribe, and share. Let people know about this. Um, you can if you have something that you want us to discuss on this, please reach out. We're more than happy to discuss stuff. Even if you disagree, the, you don't learn until you you know get out of your comfort zone. So even if you disagree and you want to come on and talk about things, you want to tell us where we're wrong, that's okay too. I promise you it won't be hostile. Like, come talk to us. Like, if you have topics that you think need to be talked about, reach out to us. Give us those topics. Even if you're not comfortable with coming to talk about it, but you think it's something that needs to be talked about, if it's something that we can, you know, within our limits, talk about, absolutely. Just a reminder, if we didn't physically, if we were not a part of something, you know, us talking is hearsay, so... You know, we have to be careful in certain things. So if you run us to really talk about this one thing that happened that you know happened, well, we can't really do that. So just a reminder. Well, you, you would have to talk about it, you know. So yeah, the person anyway, involved does. Uh, one way that you can support this show and support our shop is uh, we have swag that is available right now. 
Um, you can go on our website at AegisComicsAlaska.com. That is AegisComicsAlaska.com, where you can also uh, keep up to date with all of our events, upcoming events. And uh, we are definitely um, moving forward this year with a lot of events at the shop. Uh, we've got a uh, comic swap going on on the 14th. We're going to have some art and uh, art nights and uh, some workshops at the shop starting this month as well. We are hitting 2023 running. So we appreciate you guys. Um, we will continue. Everyone had a good that. holiday. I hope everyone got to spend time with people that they care about. And I hope that if you're listening to this, you know that we care about you. That's right. And uh, we will continue to put out our content. Don't forget that you can support us on Patreon as well. All the links to all this stuff is in the description below. And uh, otherwise, you could just go to our website. And that's how you can message us. That's how you can get a hold of us. So we appreciate you guys. And we will see you next episode. Have a good day. Make good choices. You just listened to the Aegis Comics of Alaska's podcast. Don't forget, new episodes drop every week. For more info about Alaska's comic book shop, visit www.aegiscomicsalaska.com.